Let's rock. Alright, this is Speaking Educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard. Where I'm coming from. 15 years into education now, you know, what can I do to create this equitable space? And like, you know, what... And especially for those students um, that look like me and that came from uh, my community. I wanted to be an influencer for them, like for young people. Connect with more people whose mindset and goals. Alright, this is Speaking Educationally with... Uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard. All right, so we are on season two, episode three. But remember, we still have that lost episode out there, so this is probably I don't know two point five, something like that. Anyway, it's the regular crew here tonight. Um, Dean and Gerard, we talked about maybe talking about our favorite season, or do you believe? I mean, do you like season changes? Because I know some people in our country, like in Florida, don't have season changes. What do you guys think? I. Um. I love a season change. <laughs> you? I do. I, I love a season change. Fall is my favorite time of year. So I, I love when the weather gets a little bit cooler outside. And um, it just, I, I like being able to wear sweatshirts and sweaters. And um, it just, the, the t- this time of year, apple cider, <laughs> leaves changing colors. Like this is my favorite time of year. I'm with you 100%. Things just slow down too. But go ahead, Drake. Yes, I'm. I'm with Dina. This is my favorite time of year. I, I like the season changes. Some the summer weather and everything is good, but right now, uh, I enjoy the being able to put on different clothes. I can I can wear a hoodie and some shorts if I want to. I can wear a t shirt and some jeans if I want to. Um, when I, on my downtime, I just go out for a walk, sit outside, just you know. Stare at how to see, stare at the just the beauty of how it looks outside this time of year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you guys 100. But I will say the one thing is a, a nice. I hope we get a big snowstorm this year because last year I feel like we got cheated out of snow. We did. <laughs> so I hope this year we just have one big. I just love sitting there just watching the snow come down. It's just that's very peaceful and fun as well. All right, to simpler times <laughs> tonight. <laughs> You know, why don't you do the introductions for this? Because you were a part of something this past weekend, um, dealing with assessment and going gradeless. So I'll leave it there. Do you want to tell us what you were doing? Um, yeah. So I was on a, a live with um, uh, Teachers on Fire, who is led by Tim Cavey. He does um, both a podcast and a YouTube channel. And I believe he also has a... Um, I'm trying to think of how to explain it. It's like medium where, you know, he has his own like section of medium and people, you know, he will write for medium and other people will contribute as well. Um, so Tim is a part of a uh, going gradeless boxer group that I've been with for a couple of months now. And it's all teachers who have made the decision to go gradeless in their classroom. So on the, live that we did were the people who are typically a part of that boxer group. And so there was a lot of discussion around, you know, how do you talk to somebody who, who, you know, might be interested or doesn't understand kind of why you would do this. And, you know, how do you, how do you deal with, you know, the whole, you know, implementation of gradeless systems in your classroom. And, um, and it was just a great conversation to have, but it was um, a lot of like, you know, when people, when people ask, why would you, why would you go gradeless? Um, I was going to ask, yeah. What's the, yeah. What's the 
I it's everybody's kind of got their own story behind why they make the decision to do that. Um, mine had to do with having a really bad year as a teacher. Um, and it wasn't, I was having a great year with my kids. My kids were wonderful. I was enjoying being in the classroom with them, but I just felt like things were not right. Um, and as the year progressed and I started to realize that one of the major problems is that my classroom was really inequitable. That was a, that was a huge kind of wake up moment for me. And I had a lot of conversations with my students where I was like, you know, if you had the ideal classroom, what would it, what it would it be for you? And I got a lot of responses about what the classroom would, would look like, how it would feel. And it all boiled down to the kids needed to feel like the classroom was a place where they felt they could be. Like it needed to feel comfortable in every way that it meant means to feel comfortable as a student. And so as I kind of dived into that, I had some other experiences. Um, a former student had committed suicide. There was a lot of anxiety in her life. And I had some really, you know, deep dives into if, you know, our systems were different, you know, would this have made a difference in our life? And so I started kind of diving into things and I realized that, um, one, I was incredibly burnt out. Um, and when I started to look into what happens, you know, it's like, what is the best way to deal with teacher burnout? One of the things that came back was, if you do a gradeless classroom, it helps to eliminate some of the burnout. So I was like, okay, this is something I need to entertain. So as this Can is I going on, real quick on that, yeah. because we said before the show, if you haven't listened to the Brene Brown podcast with um, Sonia Renee Taylor, is that the name? Fire. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She talked about removing ladders and I immediately made the connection being into that podcast that you shared with us to, to what you're talking about. Cause you're removing ladders in the form of, grades, right? Yes. So, go ahead. I was just- it's, um, well, and it's, so what ends up happening is it's like the, the grade is really just one piece of that system. The mm-hmm. system also is your policy around when you will take work and how you take work. Um, it has to do with things as, as what as small as allowing students to leave the classroom, and go to the bathroom. Like wow. it is, it yeah, is, all of that. And grades are just one piece of that thing. So when you start removing, you know, rungs off the ladder, like you start, you start pulling things and you're like, man, this system is terrible. It's harmful to the kids, but then you end up hurt in the process because you're trying so hard to defend these systems in your classroom that a lot of your like, cognitive and emotional bandwidth goes to protecting these systems that you set up and all they do is further spread you know gaps in of equity and there are all these things that happen so my thought was if i started just removing these systems that i put in place what's the worst thing that's going to happen to me so I started pulling things little by little. Like I just, little by little, I started taking things out. What so, was the first thing you took out? Like what was the, give us an example. Were you uh, like, I mean, grading the homework or? So I, um, I would not assign a grade to a kid that was less than a 50%. That's where I started. Okay. Um, and, you know, my thought was that is a really long way to fail. Like, I mean, there's, we were, I've been in two school districts where we were on a 10 point scale and there was a 10 point difference between an A and a B, a 10 point difference between, you know, a C and a D, a 10 point difference between a D and an F, but there's mm-hmm. 
50% of the grading scale is an F. Right. Like, mm. and so I just, that was the first thing I took out was no student will earn less than a 50%. Like it just point blank. And typically school districts I've been in will let you default to one marking period that you're going to default a student grade to a 50%. Um, but for me, it became, well, why don't I just do this all year long? Because, you know, uh, I need to be able to say that and justify that I've given the kids every chance I possibly can. So that's, that's where it started. Um, so that was, it started with that first. Um, the second thing was, um, being more flexible about accepting late work. That was another thing for me that, that did that. And, um, and you are going to have kids that are going to figure out that they can hand stuff in whenever they want to. Like you are going to have kids. That it's every, um, I will have teachers say to me all the time, well, I, I used to do that, but then I would have kids that turned in the work whenever they wanted to. And my question is always, how quickly did you get back to grading that work anyway? True. Like it, you can't, I mean, as English teachers, you know, we can't get to work that quickly. So that was, it was that piece of it. And then it became, that I started going, you know, well, I'm not the expert in my classroom. So let me look at some other things. Okay, how about this? Let's, let's give the kids an option for how they're going to complete the, the assignments. And I've always done differentiation. Um, but I let kids become more involved in having a say in how they were being assessed. And so when kids would turn in work, I'm like, I would say to them, I need to know that you're learning. How can you demonstrate to me through this, through this assignment or this task that you're learning. And if you can do that, no one's failing. And then it became that. And what I found over time is that um, you are more, more often than not going to have kids that because that pressure is removed from them, you get better quality work turned in. And it's like, you know, and then the argument becomes, I mean, do you want the kid to complete the assignment or do you want the kid to demonstrate their learning? And you have to determine which of those two things is most important. Um, a recent conversation I had with another teacher was, um, you know, we talked about deadlines and um, their argument was, you know, well, I, I want, it should be an understood thing that if you're writing for authentic purposes that you are going to submit stuff on time. And I said, well, where in the standard does it say submit stuff on time? There you go. And that was my first, my first pushback. And I said to them, Here's the thing you need to understand. When you say to a kid, I care about you and I, you know, your health and your safety are important. I want you to take care of yourself. But you immediately follow it up with, but you've got to turn in your work. Then the kid is going to hear something in that. And it's not going to be, I care about your health, safety, and well-being. Mm -hmm. And if they don't feel that those things are protected, then they're not going to learn in your class. Right. And so... so I, I made that. So I started making all of these shifts and what it boiled down to is when I started removing things, I realized that I actually enjoy teaching and it's not even just that my kids are learning. I actually enjoy my job. Mm. Um, and it was the last two years have been the best years I've had as a teacher because I don't feel the same level of stress that I was feeling, you know, prior. And the kids are learning. They enjoy the class. Um, I'm hearing things this year because I, I moved up a grade level. And so I have the same a lot of the same kids I had last year. And they're talking about things in our class. When we introduce concepts, we've introduced a couple of concepts. They're bringing up things they learned last year in class. And it's like, 
you know, so I know that they learned you know, yeah, last year, even given the craziness that even happened. That's funny. Um, yeah, so, I, yeah. <laughs> that's a really good, I mean, that's a good couple of like reasons why. And then a couple of steps into how to begin going green list. I, I would say to you, as you were talking and Gerard jump in at any point here, but um, that idea from an educator that if they don't have strict guidelines about due dates and things like that, that they won't learn that part of responsibility in their lives. I think that's something that is always the constant pushback to this idea of not assigning grades in a way that's an average, right? We still have to assess kids and I don't want anyone to get confused and think that we're suggesting you should assess students or see where they're at or survey them or whatever. But I think what you're saying is giving them multiple opportunities to show you that they have a mastery of whatever it is that, that they're trying to learn from you uh, or, that, or that they're trying to be educated about. Um, so I, my argument to then that person that might say, Hey, you have to have a stop that date at some point. Well, yeah, if you have a reporting system at some point, you have to report where they are in the continuum of learning, but it's not a closed chapter of the book, right? right. Or the end of the book. Like the book doesn't end <laughs> until death. Right. Um, it's, um, and that's one of the, that's one of the things that we've talked about frequently is that um, nobody is under a system where we don't have to grade report at some point. Like we're all under a system under which we have to do that, but you have a lot of option as to how you can do that meaningfully. And most of us who are in the, the gradeless space do some sort of conference with the student, you know, at the end of the marking period where you have a, they've, they've set a goal. They come and sit down with you with, you know, what they establish as their goal and how they track that. And they discuss what they learned and they demonstrate to you how they learned it. And then you have a conversation with that student at that point to determine in terms of their learning, you know, where are they? And then you kind of negotiate out a grade and you very rarely run into an instance where your, your understanding and the kid's understanding are vastly different. Usually what ends up happening is that students usually don't over project and say they deserve an A when they really are in C territory. You don't run into that really. You run into a lot of kids that think that they should get a C when they really should have a B or an A, you know? Mm. So it's, um, but to me that it's, um, I, and as an English teacher, I am never going to master writing, you know, I'm never going to master it. I am going to get incrementally better. Yeah. Um, and I and I will continue to get better. And I see myself as a writer and a communicator growing, you know, and, and as we've recorded this podcast over the last couple of months, I can tell that I'm a lot clearer in the way I communicate ideas to people because I've had practice with both of you um, and discussion and everything. But am I going to be this fantastic, phenomenal, wonderful writer who's never without error. No. And even your best writers need an editor. So the expectation, I think that we put on kids sometimes that they're going to be masters of content, I really think is not realistic. Mm -hmm. And so then it becomes, what can they focus on to get better? And what I noticed when I've done, when I've done portfolio assessments with kids before is I tell them to pick one or two goals for themselves and track those goals. But then what happens is they start working on other things because they realize that with writing, it's all interconnected. And oh, if yeah, you absolutely. improve a topic sentence or a main idea or a claim or a thesis statement, then you start looking for how well you support that within the body of whatever it is that you write. And then your conclusions get better because you have to connect the conclusion to what came before it. 
So yeah, all I love those things become better. Yeah, it all grows together. Yeah. Gerard, what do you think about the whole? No, what I was going to say was, Dina, you just hit the nail on the head with that that last part and then Doug backed you up with it all connecting together. And that's what learning is about, not about reporting a grade, because if the students can start, you know, connecting the dots from, okay, we wrote about this piece and now I'm writing about this piece and I see the connection and they're able to refer back to evidence that may have been talk to them from last year or several months before that's learning in it and when they learned it they may have not been the greatest at it and if you were to grade that one particular snapshot in time it could have been an f but now they've shown so much growth from that time to that time until now that student getting the f in that class as a result of maybe that huge assignment is not a true reflection of their learning it's really not. And it's, you know, and we've all been in this situation before because we, you know, we, you know, the both of you were teachers at one point and I'm, I'm still teaching. So like, you know, you get like two kids. Okay. So I have, I have Doug and Gerard as my students and, you know, uh, Gerard is a really, really good kid and, you know, he doesn't always get it. And Gerard's sitting at like an 88.5. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there saying to myself, if an A is a 90% and he's at an 88.5, I should just go ahead and give him enough points to boost him into a 90% and have an A because he's a good kid and he always turns on his work and he tries so hard. Um, But Doug doesn't always do that. And so Doug is at a 79, you know, 0.2. The question then becomes, do I, (laughs) do I give, do I boost Doug's grade to a B well, Absolutely. no, because he doesn't turn in his work. So therefore, you know, if he doesn't turn in his assignments all of the time, um, you know, or he turns them in and it looks like he rushed through them, then, you know, no, I'm not going to give him those points. And I have seen that happen. <laughs> You'll be the kid that comes to me two days before grades are due, wondering what they could do right. about their grade, you know? Right. And, and that's another thing. I don't have those conversations with students. You know, I don't get those those 48 hours before grades are due, kids, kids coming to me anymore about their grade. Um, what I do have are conversations like this. So I had a kid that came up to me last school year, and um, he came to me with a note from his mom. And the note was like, you know, please allow my child to turn in their assignment late. He had an issue last night, da 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 And this was on a project that we spent three days of class time working on, and then they were just supposed to finish up whatever they didn't get done, you know, outside of school. And so I said to him, well, you know, um, you know, first off, you know, I do take late work, which I don't mind doing. Um, and I said, but you had three days of class time to do this. And I said, and I made the deadline two days later so that you would have plenty of time to get it done. And I said, so why don't you have it done? And then the conversation became, you know, I procrastinated. Right. And I said, okay. Actually, that is actually... To, to your point earlier, that is a better environment. That's a better way to learn responsibility mm-hmm. than up. Uh, you're done. You get an F because that doesn't really teach you anything. It just penalizes your your responsible behavior. Right. And let's and let's not get on. It's so many aspects of uh, the way grades and the power over grades can lead to inequities for just the basic simple things of. A lot of times in educational systems, and we see it all across the country, when 
teachers are given the standard line of the lowest grade you can put in a, in a grade book as a 50 or a 60, that right there already starts a huge pigeonhole of headbutting between the powers to be and the teachers and the teachers grade book. Then you got this, you got this struggle and power over, um, you know, school leaders needing to check grade books and vice versa. And then, then when parents can see the grades and, the whole thing of how what's the time frame of updating them and then you got comp- comparing them to other teachers that may not even teach the same subject it's just so many areas that can lead down that road of inequity when it comes to the traditional way of grading well i can actually see parents pushing back too because it's going away from what they're used to as well mm-hmm. and, and, I, and i have i have heard of that those instances happening um and it's just and and a lot of it is that um you know when we have to kind of have the the discussion with parents and educate them around why our systems are set up the way that they are um and i i will say that i have not had any issue with a parent yet um and i'm going to use on the word yet because um this is the first year where the kids will um you have to read the feedback. That's the huge thing. You have to read the feedback. And um, a, a parent will not have any idea really um, until that feedback is read. But I also am, if a kid hands in all their work, they're not going to fail. Like this is not, I, I, I am not in the business of failing children. Um, but I will tell you that if you're interested in an A and you haven't turned in all of your assignments, you're probably not going to get an A because you're not able to demonstrate to me that you have worked toward, you know, your growth and work toward being able to get as much control over the mastery as possible. Um, you know, for, for whatever that looks like for you. Um, so that's, that's a lot of what it is, is, you know, how much can you demonstrate to me that you have learned and grown in this process? That's an interesting way of thinking about it. I, I read a book. Um, actually, I read the book twice, and it's called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And it kind of reminded me of the, one of the overarching themes of the book is quality over quantity. Right. And so one, one of the main characters has an old motorcycle that he fixes himself. He has a toolbox that he carries on his motorcycle. When it breaks down, he fixes it. So he's the representation of quality, right? He can kind of do it himself. The other motorcycle rider is actually a couple. They have a brand new BMW. Whenever their bike breaks down, they pull over and get it fixed from a mechanic. There's not really, they don't really talk about in the book whether one's better or the other, but they do talk about how when you are able to, and I think in what what you're talking about, when you're able to fix your own things, you're able to realize your own problems, when you're able to show that you have lots of tools in your toolbox that you can fix anything and then fix it. But in the case of education, create something or write something or, or read and comprehend something. Um, that's really quality over quantity at that point. And that just, to me, is always kind of the, the gold standard for me is, are we trying to do more or are we trying to do better? Right. Um, and and I, I think a huge piece for me as well is, you know, in, in getting back to what you were talking about earlier, Doug, with your, with your why, like my, my huge why for the last couple of years has been to help students understand that they have a voice. You know, you have a voice and it was actually the, the huge, the the huge kind of coming together, all that for me was, um, 
the a couple of years ago, the the district that I worked in decided that they were going to do they were going to throw teacher of the year nominations out to not just the faculty, but they went out to the community members. And um, I'm, I typically am not somebody who gets nominated for stuff like that. So I wasn't expecting anything. And then I found out that I was nominated and I was nominated by a student. Oh, that's awesome. And this was not anything near what I was expecting to have happen. And it was interesting because I didn't get any other nominations. That was the only one. And I ended up being a finalist that year. And so when I had a conversation with her, I said to her, I said, well, I said, one, I would like to say thank you for, for nominating me for teacher of the year. That was, I said that that meant a lot to me. Um, you know, I, I appreciate any, you know, acknowledgement I get from people that I, I do a good job, but it's really meaningful when it comes from a student. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and she was like, well, she's like, I just feel like you're a really good teacher and you know, you need that nomination. And I said, but I said, the main thing that I want you to get out of all of this is I said, you were the only nomination that I received and I'm now a finalist. Had you not used your voice, then I would not have made it to, you know, the final round, which is a big deal. I was like, you know, I want the lesson that you learned from all this to be that you have a voice. Mm-hmm. And so as a teacher, that, that to me is if I can help students understand their voice, then really for me, that's, that's the big thing. So if that's my concern, if my concerns are helping student find their, students find their voice and helping them to understand that their health, their well-being, their safety are the most important things, then I can't put grades into that equation. Mm-hmm. Like they don't factor anywhere in there because if I start making grades, the big deal, then one of those other things has to go. And I'm not willing to give up those things in order to make grades more important. Yeah. No, that's, that's good. What do you think, Joe? You got anything to add to that? No, I just, I think that was that one part about student voice. Um, and you getting that nomination, well, I could talk all night about that because I strongly believe that we need to incorporate more student voice at all levels. Like I know even at even at the elementary level, I know it's not common a lot of times to have student councils, but I think we would be surprised at what a lot of third, fourth, and fifth graders could do if they ju- if they're just given a voice because they they see a lot like in my career, the things that even elementary kiddos, middle school kiddos have, you know, told me or said what they've noticed or what they think, it'll it'll blow your mind. And just, I think even in grading, I, I would love to have a, now I ain't just, I ain't saying pick anybody, just have an open forum on it with every student. But I would really love to, you know, handpick several kids and have a, have a conversation on what they think about grades and how it has affected them positive or negative from their, like, let's say if I was to go grab a seventh grader, how they felt about grades coming from kindergarten all the way up until their present time and how, how parents feel about it. Cause I know earlier you alluded, um, it was alluded to that, you know, it will be a shift in mindset with parents as well. Um, now that now more than ever is the time to start, start conversation with parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, for them, it's just going to be a fear of 
you know, the conversations that I've had with parents, because we went to a standards-based uh, reporting system a few years ago, uh, and this year is the first year in the whole K through five. And it was a little bit of a shift. And I know it's, I mean, you do get a report at the end of the marketing period, or end of the, I guess we're semester now, so in, in January, and you get one at the end of the year. Um, but the initial conversations that we had with parents, a lot of it was just fear around, but Mr. Tim, how am I going to know if they go to the next grade level or not? And I said, well, the way we worded it was everybody's progressing unless you're retained. And I've always been very anti-retention. There really is very little data to support it. Um, I've, I've retained less than five kids in eight years that I've been at my school. And I don't, um, and and they're all for kindergarten or first graders because of, you know, multiple reasons that not all that had to do with academics. Some of it was social, emotional, but you know, that being said, um, the parent piece, the communication piece, just how do you get the word out there? And then how do you, how do you kind of answer those questions that come up, not only from, you know, parents, but then staff and everything else. So, that messaging part is always so important to me. All right. Anybody have anything else on assessment, grade lists, teachers being on fire? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, this is getting scary now. <laughs> the other thing we talked about a little bit before, and I think this might be an interesting sort of rabbit hole to go down for a minute, um, is the idea of how COVID has helped us, or at least I have noticed a lot of evidence of how COVID has helped us prioritize things that our students need um, within each unit, because you you are forced to uh, pull things away. You know, Dina, you mentioned before the show the fluff, the extra stuff that mm-hmm. could be fun, but maybe isn't um, getting at exactly what you want the students to learn. Um, so, how has COVID allowed us to, and or given us permission, really more than anything else, because you can't do the same amount of stuff to just pull things away? And how I think we'll benefit from that coming back. Um, I keep on making that t- that term coming back. I don't even know what that means right now. I know. Yeah. Whatever yeah. that looks like. Um, do you guys have any thoughts around the prioritization of standards and what? I mean, have you seen evidence of that, Dina or Gerard? Um, Well, I've had to. It's, so two two things came out of I guess what you know my experiences have been for the last couple of months. So one is I had a conversation with a friend of mine, and we were talking about the whole idea of remedialization because a lot of people want to default to that. And I believe we've, we, we might've touched base on this. And I, I keep thinking it came up in an episode, but I'm like, maybe we just had a conversation on Voxer and I, I I'm mixing up the two. On Voxer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, we spend, you know, a, a lot of our educational time remedializing kids and it's not really worked. <laughs> like not from what I can see, I've not, I've not seen a, 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 anything set up where when we, we treat the kids deficit as being the primary function of the child, I've not seen any system set up where the, a kid has been like, you know what, let me jump four years. Like there's never been anything uh, to what I could see where a, a four year growth has been made when we focused on remedializing the kid acceleration is data-based and it does work. And it's a strategy that does work. And when we focus on accelerating their learning, the kids do make growth. Mm-hmm. So that, that to me is, has been a huge thing. And I, and I, it's never been more clear to me than now um, with what we're experiencing with, with, you know, being in COVID and having to change some things. But the other piece is that, 
I've been trying to prioritize which standards I teach for years. So this was a natural leap for me because I went, you know what, I can't do everything. Really, when I spend, you know, I'm only going to be able to see my kids for half a year. I'm not going to be able to get in nearly as much content. Mm -hmm. So what are the things that I really need to make sure that my kids know how to do so that when they, they leave me, one, it's going to stay with them. So I need some standards that are high leverage because we're, we switched from AB block to semester block. So there are kids that are, that could theoretically not have English from January of 2021 until January of 2022. Wow. Oh, wow. So, and, and that might be different. I mean, we could, you know, well, let me knock on wood. Let me knock on wood here. Um, we could be back, like, you know, in a regular full operable school year by August of 2022. You know, it, it could happen. Um, but if it doesn't happen and I have kids that go a full year, what are going to be some things that if I can leverage these standards, what are going to be some things that are really going to help the kids go a long way? And so that really, for me, it was, was what, what did it. So I started to really drill down on my standards and look at exactly what I'm trying to assess and how I do it because I don't have, I don't have time to play around anymore. True. Yeah. Um, so that's been that's been a huge piece of it for me, and just making sure that kids get really authentic feedback from me that they can, you know, really take to their own writing and, and demonstrate improvement. So mm-hmm. that's it, it's changed. It's really changed how I do things. Um, so, and again, that's we go back to that idea around learning in general. Like it's never ending. Yeah. And I think we always have to remind ourselves of that. I don't know. Gerard, you got anything else on assessments? Um, like, from just from what I saw, and when it comes to prioritizing the standards, I think um, it's like the beginning stages of it, but it's that that piece of, okay, I don't, the, I don't know what the future holds, but while I do have my students and just my knowledge of the curriculum and the standards, I know what I need to probably focus on more and what I know where I can gain more time later, where if we don't get as deep now or the students aren't getting it, there's always chance where I can weave it back in and spiral it back in. So I think it's been more of the intentionality piece, um, but also trying to, you know, stick with um, being cohesive to the the plans and the pacing guys, but also being very strategic on, okay, I know I got to move on, but these are the pieces I know I can spiral back to and weave in later. Yeah. Again, it's just being comfortable with your what you're doing, mm-hmm. right? Comfortable with what you're trying to get across to the the, the kids. So, anything else, guys? We're 35 minutes. Oh in. man, all about it. Ain't feel like it. <laughs> I know, right? Is there anything else you want to add, Dean or Gerard, before we uh, pack it up for this evening? No. Oh, I, it's, I I would say the the big thing is that um you know and I know people are so stressed out right now like this has not been this has not been easy for anybody and you know having to really change the way that you've done things especially for people who've been in the profession for a very long time that is is very scary um and I would say like you know don't don't approach any of this with a closed mm-hmm. mind you know it's that's going to be the big thing is 
is go in with, um, if your intention is to maximize student learning and to make your, your life more joyful as a professional, then, you know, entertain going gradeless, or at least getting rid of some of your policies that you had in place previously that really were just harmful. Um, you know, enter, entertain that and take one thing out, like do baby step it, take one thing out, change one thing and do one thing differently. Mm-hmm. And it will really open you up to, to changing so many things. And think about this too. I just thought about this when you're talking, you know, we all went paperless in March and somehow we figured that out. You know what I mean? It's baby steps. You're absolutely right. You don't have to sever the whole thing. That's, that's perfect. All right, guys. Uh, this is speaking educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard, where I'm coming from. 15 years into education now, you know, what can I do to create this equitable space? And like, you know, what? Especially for those students um, that look like me and that came from uh, my community, I wanted to be an influencer for them, like for young people. Connect with more people whose mindset and goals. All right, this is speaking educationally with. Uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard.